0: The following message from Pastor Kit Johnson comes to you from Life Point Baptist Church in Apple Valley, California, where we pray that God's word is a real blessing to you. Romans 6 today, and we're going to close out the chapter this morning. That's the plan. And uh, we'll be looking at verses 20 to 23 uh, this morning. And But before we read the text... How many of you ever get tired of pursuing godliness? Now, I, I certainly do. I mean, there, there's times that a sin looks really attractive, and uh, I don't always feel like saying no. And at other times, uh, spiritual progress seems hopeless. And so you begin to wonder what's the point of even trying to change when. Nothing is actually going to happen. And sometimes I just feel lazy, apathetic, and selfish, just like you probably do. And so I'm not motivated, naturally, to pursue holiness and live for Christ. And I'm sure that you have those moments as well. We all have times where we really feel it, and and so the flesh is strong, the world is persistent, and sometimes those forces really get to us. And yet last Sunday, we saw in Romans 6 verse 19 that God commands us to present your members as slaves to righteousness. That's the command that God gives. And, and so that, that, that verse is telling us, Christian, that Christ is our Lord. And so you must pursue holiness. You must pursue the righteousness of God it's a very important command in fact it's the only command in the larger section of verses 15 through 23 and it is also a high standard I mean Paul says in that verse that that just as you once passionately pursued sin you are with the same passion to pursue righteousness and the reality is is that if you are a child of God your heart is resonates with that command you want to please the lord you you want to obey his will you want to grow in godliness and yet even as your heart resonates with that command there is another part of you your sin nature that really resists it and some days and in some seasons of our lives that sin nature is more oppressive than others So so the question then is how do you stay motivated to pursue righteousness when you don't have any natural drive to do it? When you have that day, you wake up and you just don't feel like fighting the fight today and you just kind of feel like doing your thing and following your feelings. How do you stay motivated on those days? And Paul and the Lord both know that it's a struggle. And so Paul follows the command in verse 19, to present your members as slaves to righteousness with a word of encouragement to close out the chapter in verses 20 through 23. So the verse 20 says, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. But now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit resulting in sanctification and the outcome eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, so Paul here exhorts us to pursue righteousness, to, to obey the command of verse 19, and he does so through a powerful contrast between slavery to sin and the, the outcome of slavery to sin And the outcome of slavery to God. And he begins by reminding the Romans of their lives before conversion. And 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 in reminding them of their life before Christ, he wants to point out the vanity of sin. Why should you pursue righteousness? Because the pursuit of sin is a vain pursuit. Now, Now, before we go any further, remember... that that verses 16 through 23 are answering the question that Paul raised in verse 15. So again, (laughs) verse 15 says, What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? And we talked last week about the fact that that's a very relevant question. Because a lot of people, and, and I think we all naturally have this thought in our hearts, that we want to use the grace of God as an excuse to basically be lazy and to not pursue righteousness as much as we know that we should. And in particular, here, he's pointing out the fact that that sometimes we can even use the fact that we are no longer under the Mosaic law, and instead we are under the age of grace as an excuse to think that we can kind of make up our own rules and do our own thing and develop our own standard of what righteousness is. But Paul says, may it never be That we would use the grace of God as an excuse to live an ungodly life. And then he gives his fundamental answer in verse 16. And we saw last week that his basic answer is, is that everyone is a slave of one of two masters. You're either a slave of sin or a slave of righteousness. And your master determines your eternal destiny. So, why can I not use the grace of God as an excuse to sin? Because if you are a slave of sin, the implication is you will end up in hell. And so that is the point that he is making. But if you pursue righteousness, you will end up in glory. Now, now, the, now the point there is not to say, then, that, that we can earn eternal life, all right? Because, because what he's really saying is not that. What he's saying, instead, is that your heart reveal or excuse me, your life reveals your, your heart condition. That, that the indicatives, if the indicatives of this of, of Romans 6 are true of you, if you are in Christ, if you are a new creature in Christ and, and, and God has changed your heart, you are dead to sin and alive to righteousness, it's going to show in the fact that you obey God's will. That's the point. And so a new heart will produce a new life. And, and to appreciate that new life, Verse 20 backs up and reminds the Romans and reminds us of our natural condition before we came to Christ. So verse 20 again says, for when we were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Now now once again here, Paul makes his point by contrasting slavery and freedom as he's done a couple of times in this larger section. And we've talked a lot. We talked a lot last week about the fact that an unbeliever, someone without Christ, is a slave of sin. Now, Now, they might think that they're free. They might think that they're doing their own thing. But they are instead deceived by sin so that they blindly pursue a course of life with no ultimate value and which will end in the judgment of God. So they're slaves even if they don't realize it. But then Paul adds a very ironic twist. He says the unbeliever is also free in regard to righteousness. So so yes, the unbeliever does have a type of freedom. The problem is, it's not a good type of freedom. He is free, you could say, from any compulsion to please the Lord. Now, that's not to say that an unbeliever can't ever do something that is noble or something that is righteous. I mean, unbelievers all the time give sacrificially. They fulfill responsibilities, they act with chivalry, but but it never arises out of a genuine desire to glorify the Lord whom they love. It is always coming from the wrong heart. That's why Isaiah 64, verse 6 can say, all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment. It's an incredible verse, isn't it? And the Bible leaves no room for someone to earn their salvation by the good deeds that they do. Because even the best things that I could do, the most noble deeds I could accomplish, they are corrupted by by the sin and wickedness of my heart. So, So you can't go to enough church services. You can't feed enough homeless people to make yourself righteous and acceptable to God because even the best things that an unbeliever can do are just simply filthy garments compared to the holiness and righteousness of God. So grace is our only hope. But, but maybe, though, you'd say, well, okay, so, so the unbeliever is a slave to sin, and he's freeing in regard to righteousness. But, but I, I like my sin. Maybe I don't mind being a slave to sin. What's the point? Well, Paul continues... By, by making the point, he presses into the argument by noting not only our natural condition, but the temporal vanity of sin. Notice the question he asks in verse 21. It's, a, it's an important, heavy question. He says, what benefit were you then deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? Now, so, so what he does here is he looks back at their life before they came to Christ. And he asks them, what benefit, or or you could really say, what fruit of of real significance did you achieve by the way you lived before you came to Christ? And so what what Paul is doing here is he's encouraging you. When, When you are discouraged in the struggle to live for Christ, when sin begins to look tempting and appealing, consider your life before conversion and ask yourself, what was the point? What was the fruit of my life before I was saved? What good came out of my slavery to sin? How did, I, how did I benefit other people? How did it truly bring me lasting significance? And again, the point is not that an unbeliever can't do something of significance. Because sometimes they do. And, and sometimes they can bring about good results. But but the good that might come out of the life of an unbeliever, it didn't come from sin. It came from the common grace of God. So so the question is specifically, what good came out of my slavery to sin? What good? And the answer, Paul says, is right there in the question, he says, that the Romans were ashamed of how they had once lived. And so we can imagine that most of the people in the church got saved as adults, and they had lived as pagans for years. And like all unbelievers... They were surely guilty of some shameful deeds. Probably some of them had hurt people who were close to them. Maybe some of them had committed crimes. Others maybe got stuck in destructive habits that that ruined their health and their bodies and and hurt other people. Or maybe, it's it's not that they did anything necessarily horrible as unbelievers, but, but they just look back and it's like, man, I did nothing of significance. I wasted my life chasing my own selfish pleasures. And I missed so many opportunities to serve Christ and invest in people. And as a result, Paul notes that the Romans were rightly ashamed of their pre-conversion lives. And I imagine there's probably some in you in here that that your heart really resonates with that. You lived as an unbeliever for a long time, and you look back at your life as as an unbeliever and it pains you to remember how you wasted so much time and all the hurt that you caused by your pursuit of sin. And yet, isn't it ironic that, that even as you might be able to look back and see, yeah, that was a waste. I don't want to go back to that. Your, your heart then turns around and, and, and is attracted to, to the, the very sinful things of which you are ashamed. You, you crave lusts and, and you crave sin. And sometimes we're, we're, we're hesitant to pursue righteousness. And, and folks, that's why verse 21 is here. Because we all need constant reminders that, that sin doesn't benefit anyone. And, and it doesn't produce anything of lasting value. No, it hurts people. It, it causes all sorts of destruction and it leaves us empty every time. And so we have to discipline ourselves when those days come where we are discouraged and empty to, to keep the perspective of verse 21. And remember, there is no lasting value in the pursuit of sin. So, so maybe, though, you're, you're a teenager or a young adult, and maybe you grew up in a, in a Christian home your whole life, and you've been basically, you, you have not had the opportunity based on the family you live in, to pursue sin or to do your own thing. And and, and so you're looking around and, and you wish that you had the freedom to, to do the things that you want and, and to experience, experiment with sin and play around. And maybe you look at a passage like this and you're, you're not really sure that slavery to God really is better than slavery to sin. Because sin looks really fun, right? Like you turn on the TV, you, you look around the world and And it appears that unbelievers are really enjoying themselves. And you're right, sometimes they really are having a good time. But God says in his word, and there are plenty of wise, experienced people around you who could testify to the fact that sin always leaves you hanging. The pleasure fades quickly, and it leaves in its wake all sorts of misery and destruction. So don't be deceived. Don't be deceived and think that that's the way to go and and that the truth of Scripture is restrictive in a bad way. No, understand the vanity of sin and remember how how empty it ultimately is when temptation comes. And, And yet even worse than the temporal vanity of sin is the eternal loss that sin brings. Look how verse 21 ends. Not only... Is there shame and emptiness and sin? Verse 21 ends by saying that the outcome of those things is death. Now, now since verse 23 contrasts eternal life with death, we, we ought to understand death here not just as physical death, but as eternal separation from God in hell. So, so not only does slavery to sin uh, leave us empty and vain in this life, but Paul also warns, that it terminates in eternal destruction in hell. So maybe there's someone here that that you have never received Christ as your Savior because you're afraid of what Christ demands. Maybe you've heard the gospel many times and you've heard many gospel invitations. But every time you say no because you like your sin, you want the world's acceptance and you don't want to lose the things that you enjoy. I hope you'll see today that sin is a terrible master. It won't satisfy you here, and it terminates in destruction. And so, as you think about the demands of the gospel, the the, the invitation of the gospel, what is really so great about life without Christ? What is so great about it that you would sacrifice your soul to hold on to something that you love so much. The life without Christ is not great. It is so often, as Paul says, shameful, worthless, and destructive. So come to Christ and be saved. But I think it's also noteworthy that this entire passage is, is ultimately addressed to Christians, right? So, so Romans 6 here is not primarily intended to be evangelistic. It's addressed to people who profess Christ. And we've seen in the book of Romans that these were people who had been transformed by the work of Christ. And Paul says that they have become slaves of righteousness. Romans 8.1 promises them, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So I want to be very clear that every genuine believer will make it to heaven. But if that's true, that every Christian will make it to heaven, then why does this text continually use the, the reality of hell to motivate people who profess to be Christians. Now, I say that because verse 16 teaches that your life reveals your master, doesn't it? And that your master reveals your eternal destiny. So if sin is truly your master, then this passage is warning that person that you will end up in hell regardless of what you say you believe. And so while it's subtle, verse 21 is clearly implying that one reason why you should pursue righteousness, even when you don't feel like doing so, is because you don't want to end up in hell. Now that's not our primary motivation, right, for for pursuing righteousness, but it's certainly there That, that, that we all need to understand that a path of rebellion against God and His will will end in eternal destruction. Now again, that's not because any genuine believer can lose his salvation. So so Romans 8 verse 1 assures us of that. And, And I love how Jesus puts it in John 10 verses 27 and 28. He says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Isn't that a great assurance? That that Christ gives eternal life to his sheep and they will never perish. And he will always keep them. But while it's true that Christ perfectly knows his sheep, the reality is, is that we can deceive ourselves. Because Jesus also warns in Matthew 7, verses 22 and 23, many will say to me on that day, speaking of the final judgment, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now, now what's really important about that passage is, is notice that these people did not lose their salvation because how does, what does Jesus say to them? He says, I never knew you. So, so it's not that these people were saved, and then lost it, it's that they deceived themselves into thinking they had something that they did not. And in our text, if someone sees the grace of God, the fact that they're free from the law of Moses and they're under grace, if they see the grace of God as an excuse to be a slave of sin, to look at what God's word commands and say, no, I'm going to do my own thing. That of course we don't know anyone's heart perfectly. But if that's someone's stance, then, then very likely they have never come to know the true grace of God. And sin is still their true master. And the threat of hell should loom very large for the person who refuses to obey God's word. And so, professing Christian, if you are walking down a path of rebellion against God, and I don't mean that you've got struggles, because we all have struggles. But, but you are saying no to righteousness. No to what God clearly commands you to do in his word. Or maybe you're, you're, you're contemplating it. I mean, you're at that, that, that point that you're, you're, you're at a Y in the road, and a fork in the road, and, and you're thinking, you know, I, I don't know if I want to keep doing this Christian thing faithfully to what God says in his word then understand the eternal consequences of rejecting the lordship of Christ. Now, I don't know your heart, but I do know that God says that slaves of sin are destined for hell. That's what the text teaches. And we all need to feel the weight of that. And it needs to be, for some people, a means of correction to keep us on the right path. And, and I'd say, you know, if you're there and you're, you're really struggling and, and you can feel the, the, the pull of Satan and, and the tug away from faithfulness to Christ and, and into rebellion against His Word, then I would love to sit down and talk with you and just encourage you and help shepherd you. And I'm sure there's other godly people here that, that would, come, would love to come along and, and be an advocate to you and, and help you stay faithful to Christ. Because the consequences here are, are eternal. So, so I know that, that that kind of warning is not necessarily pleasant to hear, right? We, we don't like to think about these sorts of things. But we do need to see it as the grace that it is. And God loves us enough to be honest where it is hard to hear. And one of the graces he uses to help us persevere in godliness is, is warning us about the consequence of failing to do so. We need to recognize that that rebellion against god is not something of no significance it is of eternal significance so so whenever satan dangles a carrot in front of you of temptation make sure that you see through the lie sin has no real benefit today other than fading pleasures that always disappoint and the end result is the darkness of hell so sin is a terrible master So stay away and don't be deceived on those difficult, discouraging days. And so Paul begins in verses 20 and 21 by by reminding them that they need to present their bodies to Christ by remembering the vanity of sin. And then in stark contrast, he follows in verse 22 by reminding them of the value of holiness. So, So look at verse 22. He says, But now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit. Resulting in sanctification and the outcome eternal life. Now, now that verse uses a lot of the same language that we just read in verses 20 and twenty-two or 20 and 21, but, but that's about where the similarities end. Because life in Christ could not be any more different from life in slavery to sin. And so he begins by reminding the Romans of the power of their conversion. And he makes the point. By flipping the language of freedom and slavery from verse 20. So so verse 20 said that before you came to Christ, you were slaves of sin and free in regard to righteousness. But now, he turns around and says, that God has flipped the script. And and now, they are freed from sin and enslaved to God. Now, I do want to emphasize that God is the one who did this, right? Right? So so both verbs here in verse 22 are in the passive voice, which means that the Romans didn't do the acting. God did the acting. So so what he's saying there, he wants to emphasize, is that God freed them from sin, and God enslaved them to himself. So spiritual growth, we, we always need to remember, is a spiritual work rooted in divine grace and divine initiative. And I can never, on my own, produce the practical righteousness that God is demanding in this book. Now, I could never live up to him, but Christ made me a new creature. He changed my heart. He changed everything about me. And Paul here wants the Romans to remember just what God had done. And Christian, it's good for you as well to once in a while, probably more than once in a while, regularly, to remember the transformation that God brought about in your life when you got saved. And just remember often how, how someone shared the gospel with you. Remember how the Holy Spirit worked and began to draw you to that truth. How it convicted you. How you were attracted to that truth. You know, remember how, how God changed your life. So, so God has done a, a precious miracle in the heart of every believer. And it's good for you to remember that often. And specifically, when Satan tempts your heart. You, know, you don't need to sin. You don't need to obey Satan. Because Christ has already freed you from sin and enslaved you to God. That's not who you are. So remember that. And you have something far better. You don't have to obey sin. You have a new and better master. So he reminds them of the power of conversion, and then he reminds them of the fruit of holiness. So again, at conversion, God changed everything. And as a result, Paul adds that right now, he says, you derive your benefit resulting in sanctification. So the idea there is literally, you are bearing fruit. You are right now bearing fruit that, that leads to a sanctified or a practically holy life. That's, sanctification, again, is just another word for holiness. And that statement there is in contrast, of course, to what Paul just said in verse 21 about the vanity of the unbeliever. So, so the unbeliever, he says in verse 21, what good, what good came out of your life in, in, in slavery to sin? But he says, now, in Christ, you are pursuing godliness, and there is real value, real value in doing God's will. I like how 1 Timothy 4, verses 7 and 8 put it. It says, Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Now, now we'll get to the eternal value of godliness here in a bit. But, but notice there that godliness is also profitable today. It has benefit, it is significant for your life right now. So, so how is that the case? Well, well, for one, godliness genuinely impacts for the good people around you. you know, we, we could all, we could sit here, we could tell stories for hours about how godly people who loved us sacrificially, cared for us, honored God's word, how they impacted our life by their godliness. Godliness impacts others. But I can guarantee that the room would be crickets if we tried to do the same with sin. Tell me how the sin of another person impacted your life in a positive way other than reminding you what not to do. I mean, sin doesn't benefit anyone. And so godliness is profitable because it blesses others. Godliness also blesses me as I I pursue it. For example, people who are truly disciplining themselves to godliness are going to enjoy the fruit of the Spirit. So there is joy in a godly life. It also leads, by by God's grace, to peaceful relationships. As we love and care and serve other people, it leads to contentment in Christ. So so yes, I mean, being godly doesn't mean that all your problems evaporate. We still live in a sin-cursed world, and, and there are sorrows and burdens that come with life in this world, but godliness is profitable for the present life. You know, when when you pursue holiness, when you live for Christ, you're not wasting your time. You are pursuing something of value. And we have to remember that when the world, the flesh and the devil are pushing their cheap imitations on us. Godliness is profitable. So discipline yourself to godliness. But of course, the, blessing, uh, the blessings we enjoy today are just a foretaste of the ultimate blessing that awaits us in heaven. And so finally, Paul reminds us of the joy of eternity. So, so notice, he ends verse 22 by saying that the outcome of all of this is eternal life. And eternity with Christ is going to unimaginably exceed any fading pleasure that we could enjoy in this world. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 17 and 18, is such a wonderful testimony by Paul. He says, for momentary light affliction. Now, do your problems feel momentary and light? Now, we like to think they're huge! But I can about guarantee that Paul's problems were as big as any problems that we have. He had big problems. So how could he say that his problems were light and momentary? Well, he says momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Well, we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And so, folks, God has promised his children an eternal weight of glory He says, far beyond all comparison. So, why should you present your members as slaves to righteousness? Why should you obey God's will day after day when it's hard and difficult? Why should you prioritize the spiritual disciplines in your calendar? Why should you wake up every morning determined by the grace of God to do battle with sin? Why should you press toward the mark? The simple answer is is that the eternal glory of Christ will be worth it all. Christ will be worth it all. And that weight of glory will be so great someday that everything you left behind will look like a light, momentary blip on the radar. So Christian, don't lose heart. Press on so that you may lay hold of that for which also you were laid hold of by Jesus Christ. Grasp the prize. And as you do that, you won't regret it. So so fight sin. Obey God's word. Pray. Meditate moment by moment on God's truth. And remember, in all of it, that you are dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. You can do this. And you want to do this. Because the value of holiness far exceeds the vanity of sin. And then finally, Paul drives all of this home in verse 23 by emphasizing the promise of heaven. And verse 23 closes the chapter by saying, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, we generally use that verse when we are sharing the gospel. It's probably... Uh, where most of us are familiar with this verse, and for good reason, because in a few succinct words, it drives home the stark reality that everyone is faced with, that there are two radically different destinies that every individual must face. Every person, Paul says, will either ultimately face eternal death in hell or eternal life with Christ in heaven. And so we need to understand there is no third option. There's no middle ground. You will either be in heaven or hell for all eternity. And you can drown yourself in all sorts of distractions. You can close your ears, hum a tune, pretend like it's not so. But at the end of the day, you're going to be in heaven or hell for all of eternity. And the difference between heaven and hell couldn't be more drastic. And Jesus describes hell as a place of eternal torment. Well, heaven is a place of absolute bliss. So, so, so maybe you're here today and, and you have never received Christ because something is in your heart that you think is, is too precious to leave behind. Maybe you're afraid to receive Christ as your Savior. Maybe you're afraid of what receiving Christ would mean for your relationships. Maybe there's something that you know Christ is going to ask you to do that you do not want to do. Maybe you're loyal to some other religion. I don't doubt that receiving Christ is scary. That there are things that you don't know or things that you're afraid of. but, But I am sure Anything, anything that you would put up as my reason not to receive Christ is not worth it. It is not worth it. There is no excuse in your life that is worth eternity in hell. You need to receive Christ and be saved. But, but in order to make that choice, you must also understand that there are two radically different causes for where you end up someday. And Paul reflects that drastic difference by contrasting the word wages with the word free gift. All right? I think we can all recognize there's a massive difference between wages and a gift of God's grace. And so, so he begins with the fact that, that the wages of sin is death. Now, now that's a really important statement because, because oftentimes you will hear people in our culture say that hell is unfair. They might even say they don't believe in God because no God who is really good would send people to a place like hell. That has to be unfair. But God says here that everyone who will be in hell someday will be there because they earned it. They'll be there because they earned it. The wages, the rightful, just wages of sin is death. I know that's hard to hear, but that's what God says. I mean every one of us has sinned against God's will. We have, we have rebelled against our sovereign authority. and so you, you have earned hell. I have earned hell. and so every day and every day that you Refuse the lordship of Christ every day that you live apart from him is another day in in rebellion against God and his sovereignty and authority over your life. But but please don't miss the fact that the solution then is not, well, well, the wages of sin is death, so that means I've got to turn around and I've got to earn eternal life. Because he doesn't say the wages of God is eternal life. He says the free gift of God is eternal life. So so you can never do enough enough good works to make yourself acceptable to God. We read earlier that that all our righteous deeds are like filthy rags compared to the holiness of God. No, our only hope of salvation is what? The free gift in Christ Jesus our Lord. And and we know that Jesus provided that gift when he died on the cross and he rose again. When, When Jesus died on the cross, He he paid the wages for your sin. He paid the penalty so so that you don't have to. So so you can just simply receive the gift of salvation in Christ by faith. And if you've never done that, you just today simply need to acknowledge Jesus as the only Lord and Savior. And recognize that you have sinned against His will. You have rebelled against Him. You need to repent of your rebellion and put your faith in what Jesus did on the cross as your only hope of salvation. And if you do that, you will be saved. I mean, Paul will say later on in this book, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So so you repent of your sin, you believe on Christ, Christ comes to live inside you, you are forgiven, and everything changes. And it's a wonderful gift. And so if there's anyone here who has not done that, you're still living in slavery to sin, you're going your own way, then repent today and be born again. And if you are saved, don't miss the fact that verse 23 was not originally written for gospel tracts. It was actually originally written for Christians, right? Because Romans 6 is addressed to believers, and, and, it's, and it's here at the end of this chapter, uh, essentially as a final summary of Paul's argument for the superiority of slavery to God. Why should you present your members as slaves to righteousness? Well, one of the answers, and, and the final answer, the summary answer is, is that slavery in sin ends in hell. Slavery to Christ ends in glory, in eternal life With God. So, verse 15 asks, Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? May it never be. If you are in Christ, you are his slave. And Jesus, in the joy that he has for us in heaven, it is worth every sacrifice. So, don't slow down, don't get discouraged. When Satan tempts you to despair, when when sin begins to feel so strong and the pull of your flesh is overwhelming, remember that Jesus is worth it. And keep going. Keep fighting. Live for Christ. Let's have everyone bow your head and close your eyes. In a moment I'll pray and, and we'll sing, but I do just, since this passage brings up the gospel so clearly, I just want to ask if there's anyone here who has questions about your soul, Questions about your relationship to Christ? You, you believe that you need to be saved or you're not sure that you're saved? I, I'd love to just see your hand so I can pray for you and seek you out. If there's anyone here that you believe maybe you need to be born again, would you just raise your hand so that I can pray for you and seek to encourage you? Anyone like that at all? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for this truth, and thank you for this passage and for the, the clear perspective it gives. And so, God, I pray that you would keep us from discouragement, keep us focused on the prize, help us to press forward in service to you, that we would glorify your name and exalt you. And um, God, I, I'm sure there's believers in here that are really struggling against sin, And God, I pray that your spirit would just renew their focus, their energy, their motivation. I pray that uh, believers would come alongside them and encourage them in that struggle. And Lord, help us to keep going. And I pray as well for any who are here that do not yet know Christ as Savior. Oh God, I pray that today they would come to grips with the reality of hell, the reality of their lost condition. And I pray that they would be gloriously saved. And so work in our midst, I pray. And God, I pray that your spirit would take the word and plant it deep and do great things as a result. In Jesus' name.